Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. This is part two of show number 60 of the Anime World Order podcast, even though part one of show number 60 came out a week ago, and for any reasonable podcast, that would make this show number 61. However, we are not any reasonable podcast because show number 60 ended up being like three hours long. So instead of breaking up and making it show 60, 61, and 62, in this portion of show number 60, we're going to give you the news segment as well as the review of the manga Apollo's Song by Osamu Tezuka because that was the theme of show number 60, all Osamu Tezuka things. If you would like to hear all the previous episodes and maybe even the previous part of Anime World Order, you can go to the website at www.animeworldorder.com. And just download the episodes manually off of that if you don't actually subscribe to it through the feed. Although most people by now subscribe to things through the feed. What's happening here is that both Clarissa and I have to write Otaku USA articles since by the time you hear this, issue 3 should be out on newsstands, which means we're writing issue 4 right now. Therefore, the Blackjack segment is probably going to be slightly delayed. Fortunately, as of Anime Week in Atlanta, I have plenty of other stuff that is already recorded that we could just throw in at any time. The problem is that we would have to edit it, just like how we'd have to edit anything else. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, I am mired by other distractions, for not only am I finally getting Xbox 360 games such as Halo 3 and Gears of War, so be my friend on Xbox Live so I can cooperatively play through these games, to say nothing of Orange Box, all the Team Fortress 2 stuff that I've been waiting for for 10 years and haven't played yet. I still haven't actually bought Orange Box yet, nor have I bought Ninja Gaiden Sigma, which I need to do that as well. And also, Dynasty Warriors Gundam. Then there's the matter of the Nintendo Wii games. I'm finally getting off my butt and playing Resident Evil 4 since I never played it on the GameCube or the PS2. So yeah, there's a bunch of other things that are all contesting to steal away my time. Like, oh, hey, Dead Rising, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I need to start these still because I paid for them. I should play them. But here I am doing podcast stuff. Yeah. Anyway, here we go. It's a shocking episode of AWO that is under an hour long. Just like a real podcast should be. What a concept. Oh well. Hit the music. Let's use working to restore power. have kind of an update from the ODEX issue that we were talking about last time. That is that there were actually protests held by anime fans in Singapore against ODEX. Hmm. And this is kind of interesting because apparently public protests in Singapore are actually illegal. Apparently if you get more than four people together, that's considered trouble. They actually gathered together and they actually had to put them down. The police actually came out and started breaking this whole thing up. Oh, I thought it was like they just started firing grape shot into the crowd. <laughs> Really, what does it take to subdue a crowd of anime fans? Throw a box of Pocky in the opposite direction. <laughs> well, they actually pulled out three of the riot vehicles. Just in case the anime fans, I don't know, pulled out their getter beams or something? I don't know. What kind of troubles me is that I'm actually reading this one blog where this one guy is talking about getting ready for this protest, putting together the signs and everything, and then on the back of these signs... He writes, the freedom to download fan-subbed anime is the right of all sentient beings. Now, that's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> that's good. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. It's a good Transformers reference. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's just kind of an ongoing thing. Odex actually responded on their uh, forums about the letter that they sent out as well. But as far as I can tell, it's just kind of stuck at this point. We're kind of in the middle of it right now, but these are just a couple of the uh, updates that have been happening for that. Also, DMP, the American manga publisher, is going to start including the Japanese publisher's logos on their manga. Yeah, I heard about that. As far as I know, I don't believe this has been done before. Apparently, they're going to be releasing them just with the Japanese company's logo right there on the cover as well. Like, so, is, is their logo just going to be next to it or something? Or It doesn't state exactly how it's going to be used, but it seems to me like these Japanese companies probably want to get a little bit more recognition in America. Right. Um, I don't know if perhaps this is maybe a move to maybe releasing their own anthologies over here, like mm. starting with brand recognition perhaps. Well, several publishers already are subsidiaries right. of Japanese publishers, so it, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if that's like the first step and now they want to move on to actually releasing stuff themselves over here. Yeah, okay, here it is. The upcoming release of Ka Shin Fu will feature, I'm going to ruin this name, Oakla Shupan's logo on the cover, as well as on the spine. I actually haven't heard of that before from a manga publisher. Also, because I always like to talk about Genshiken news, the official second season of Genshiken is going to start on October 9th. Woohoo! Too bad that Kujibiki Unbalanced is actually the more popular show in Japan, uh. but can't say that I'm too horribly surprised either. Also, I guess if anybody went on to Anime News Network a little while ago, they might have noticed that there was a very small story about how Hirohiku Araki did the cover of this American, what was it, a science... Science magazine? Magazine called It's Cell. really good. There's like it's, a JoJo stand. Yeah, it's a really Basically, good cover. I don't know and why they needed to do the drawing magazine. at all. All they needed was to get a microscope and shine it down there, and it would look exactly like how <laughs> Araki draws things. It's not like he stylizes anything. It's just <laughs> what it really is. Completely true to realism. And what's even better is that that became so popular that it crashed that magazine's website. Probably most Japanese people <laughs> checking it out. Araki fans are crazy. Araki himself is crazy, so it's just par for the course. That's true. Araki, as in A-R-A-K-I, as opposed to I-R-A-Q-I, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah. yes. Different Araki. And in the last bit of news, because this is a really, really short news segment this week, thank God, because last week's was unbearable, Tezuka's company is going to colorize all of his manga. Hmm. The company itself, Tezuka Productions, is colorizing about a thousand pages a month. So well, basically, with the output that Tezuka did over his life, that means it will take them about 13 years to colorize all of his work. They plan on colorizing all 150,000 pages of Tezuka's manga. I don't really know how I feel about this yet, because... I guess I'm one for, you know, keeping the original work as it is. Well, they are going to keep the original work as well. It's not like yeah. the Ted Turner approach where it's like, oh, just welcome abandon. to Ted Turner's Colorized Classics. We're just going to pick random colors. Surprise, so-and-so's hair was red. No, they're just another step towards being able to release this stuff everywhere. Yeah. Of course, the next step I would like would be for them to translate all of it into English. But yeah, right. One step at a time. 
they're going to be offering six colorized titles, Astro Boy, of course, Blackjack, Ribbon Knight, Dororo, Phoenix, and Fushigi na Merumo. And they're going to be adding Triton of the Sea, the Three-Eyed One, and Buddha. So, I mean, I was wondering if they're going to be re-releasing these in America, but I highly doubt it since Astro Boy didn't exactly set the world on fire in sales when it was released yeah. here initially. I'm not certain if colorizing it is going to change it that much. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. But if they did release Blackjack, I would be so happy. <laughs> they did this uh, once before, not with Tezuka's work, but they colorized, or were colorizing, all of uh, Fist of the North Star, right? Yeah, that's how they were releasing the... Those Master Like, editions? the Master Editions. They did a really, really good coloring job on them. Yeah. Such that when they did the releases, they were actually full-sized pages and all that looked very much almost art book-like with the dust cover jackets and all that. I guess they kind of priced themselves you know, <laughs> a little, little out of range, because it cost more than your average manga release, but at least you'd see where your money was going, but still, the interest in that stuff isn't super high to begin with. So if Tezuka Productions were recoloring, say, Astro Boy, and then proceeding to release it in like the full giant size, how they re-released <laughs> Nausicaa, Probably not the best idea, even though those re-release Nausicaa editions were cheaper than the old dust cover jacket ones that I had originally bought. Right. So I bought that thing twice over. I actually wonder if they released this in America, how they would do it. I wonder if they could release these in like the regular manga-sized versions, colorized, and still sell it for $10. I doubt it, just because part of the reason why they can sell it for $10 instead of the DC Marvel trade paperback price... It's because it's black and white. ...is because they don't need the colors, exactly. Although they do have those manga-sized, like, American comic books, like the Spider-Man ones that they were doing, and they released those for, like, $8. And those are full color. Right. Yeah, but they don't have costs for licensing and translation, either. Well, no. I mean, I don't know exactly where all that $10 is going to, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much the licensing and translation and stuff costs, but American comics aren't going to have that, so I'm sure that adds something onto it. Then it's probably not a printing issue, perhaps. So, uh, anyway, that is a blissfully short news segment. I don't think we've had, like, such a short news segment in a while. Yeah, yeah. really? That's it? Wow. I just want to plug one more thing, because in the most recent, and when I say most recent, it's for September 14th, the uh, Hey Answer Man column on Anime News Network, the previous week, he had a, a question. He uh, said, hey guys, what do you fans think of Moe? And I, I wrote him an answer, and he printed it. <laughs> so I'd like to thank him for giving me publicity, because I didn't expect that to actually get put up on a web page. It's not so much an answer as it is see. kind of the crazy rantings of a lunatic. No, but... it is an answer, and it is the answer, and it is the correct <laughs> answer, all right? <laughs> so if you want... To know, because we talk about Moe a lot, but we never really go into that much of what Moe truly is. And with the Higurashi review that uh, you know we did in the last show, I think it's important that we go back and understand what Moe truly is. And so, for all those interested, we'll put a link up in the show notes for it, or I can feed it into tinyurl.com right now, which I will do. Although, you know, I think that there was one flawed response in that. Not your response, there was that one girl that responded. I think we all know that women can't truly understand what moe is. They've been deceived. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously something that you have to be a really creepy guy that lives alone in, in his 30s. The darkness must have tried to consume you, and you must either have accepted the darkness or rejected the darkness. 
It's very much like the Force. Anyone who wants to become a Jedi, at some point, they reach a point where they're tested by the dark side. And they yeah. can either turn or, you know, stay on the side of light. And far too many people are turning towards the dark side. So anyway, it's tinyurl.com slash 2AC8BJ. So there you go. Thanks very much to Zach for shamelessly plugging this podcast a lot, even though... You know, it's mainly a venue for jokes and comedy, which is pretty much all I ask for anyway. We have to own up to some of the comments on the forums. It was shameless, horrible marketing. All of that money that we gave to Zach. All that for, money that we pay him yeah. off with to, our to mention podcast our show. millions. Yeah. Somebody actually said, what shameless marketing. The shameless so. marketing, that's right. <laughs> Zach, I hope you like that Ferrari. It, it cost us a lot. It cost us really? a whole lot of BJs and bananas. <laughs> Carrots. I meant to say carrots. I'm sorry. BJ's and carrots. BJ's and carrots. (laughs) Zach's a demanding man. Anyway, we're going to just add a little addendum to the news this week, because when we originally recorded the news... A month ago. Yeah, a month ago. (laughs) The uh, Genion and ADV deal was right in the middle of happening. And then we all went off to Anime Week in Atlanta, and then a whole bunch of other stuff happened. So rather than release the news that is woefully out of date, even though it usually is out of date. It's already two weeks out of date if we were yeah. at Anime yeah. Week in Atlanta. So, you know, instead of being a month out of date, we're just going to try to be two weeks out of date. And try to catch <laughs> Which up on... Which is pretty good for us. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. And so we're going to try to catch up on what happened with Jenny on and all that. A couple of points. Nobody knows the real story behind all of this. Nobody in our position would know. The international Jewish conspiracy that's behind the Angel Cop <laughs> plot would, well, know. They would know. They would know. Yeah. We don't work for either of them, and since I believe they're both private companies, they're not obligated to talk about it. All we've got are a lot of guesses and supposition, so take everything that we say about this with a grain of salt. But we know a you couple mean like of the them. rest of the news? Like, oh, well... <laughs> Some of it is actually factual, but what we do know is that Genion and ADV were set and ready to go. ADV was going to end up distributing the rest of Genion's material. Word is that Dentsu, the company that owns Genion, stepped in at the last moment and pulled the plug and said, no, that's not going to happen. We're just going to shut Genion down. That has brought into question a lot of things about what is going to happen with Genion's material. Before, we were pretty certain that ADV was just going to distribute the rest of it. Now, we're not too sure. We know that Genion's material is going to be released up until about mid-November or so. Because all of that stuff... With the last date for retailers to place orders. But really, would retailers be placing orders for things that they know they can't send back? I highly doubt it. Well, I don't know if retailers know the whole story. So, they had to place their orders in September for the November material. The thing is that there's going to be a lot of series that aren't going to be finished being released then. Namely, things like When They Cry and yep. Black Lagoon. Probably Cyan Koku as well. Cyan Koku. A lot of shows. two that. seasons of that so far. So. Yeah. Now, actually, have they yeah. started releasing Cyan Koku at all? Um, right Stuff says they have the first DVD in stock. Okay. And so probably and the that second means... one comes out... Uh, in a couple days, according to that. Okay, them. so they probably will get no further than about Volume 3 or 4 on that series, I imagine? Yeah, probably. My understanding is that Black Lagoon, I believe Season 2 was only going to be starting its release in around November. The companies that are dubbing this material, 
they say that they are going to finish a lot of these shows. I believe that Black Lagoon is going to get its dubbing finished. I haven't actually heard solid works on a lot of other shows, but everything that that company is working on will be finished. That was Ocean, right? I believe it was Ocean. I believe that's also due to the fact that a lot of these shows are sub-licensed, meaning that when they do the dub in America, then, say, I don't know, Madman in Australia or some other company in Europe will then license that show and that dub and then release it over there. Basically, these shows should be finished on the dubbing side of it. The right. question is, who is going to release it after that? Is it just going to sit there? We don't know that. And that's something that, as we record this, I don't believe that there's been an answer for that yet. Right. And I personally have a hard time seeing that these titles are just not going to be picked up at all because these shows are just essentially finished. They have to just slap them in a box and put them on store shelves. But at yeah. the same time, a lot of the Genion stock just didn't sell at all. So really, it could right, only be a so subset they wanna... of their best titles. I don't know if someone really is going to step in and say, sure, we'll foot the bill for Helsing Ultimate now. Well, I think that Helsing Ultimate was probably one of their biggest sellers. Maybe that's a bad example. Maybe Koikaze might be a, a more horrible well, the example. Thing is, <laughs> the thing is, Koikaze is, is finished. That's just basically going to end up being the stock that's left. It's always confusing, too, about the issue of rights for things like the dub and the translation. If another company decided that they wanted to release some of these shows, would they be able to buy the rights to the existing dub and translation that have been done and release that exact same one? Now, or would they have to redo a whole new dub and translation? My guess from what I've seen from past releases is that the Japanese company owns all of the rights to a show. And oftentimes they'll own the rights to the dub that is made as well. So the really? dub that is being made is oftentimes made for the Japanese company. Now that Genion doesn't exist anymore, I believe the Japanese company will now own that dub. Hmm, because I know that we've talked about a few DVDs that, oh, why didn't this DVD release have this other dub of this show? Oh, it was because they didn't have the rights to that dub, or something like that. That may have been a case of the Japanese company had that dub, but the money that they wanted for it just didn't make it worthwhile to get it. Okay. So does that mean it's cheaper to make a whole new dub in those cases than it would be to just pay for the existing one? What are you talking about in particular? Like, I don't know. It's a hypothetical example because we haven't been talking about any specific cases. Media Blaster's release of, say, Ixer 1. Mm. That had the original U.S. renditions dub on it. Right. I believe that the Japanese company that Media Blaster's licensed that from owned that original dub. Okay. So, See, I was under the impression that the company who licensed it, obviously they don't own the show. I mean, they own the rights to it in the country. But I was under the impression that the translation and dub belonged to them because it was their production. Their work. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, obviously the Japanese company gets to say whether or not someone is allowed to translate it or dub it. But I was under the impression that the company who did the translation and dub would own it. That is my impression, too, and that's what I believed. And you know what? That may very well be the case, because I doubt that there is a template by which every single show in Japan is right. licensed. In which case, there may then be some kind of conflict if somebody picks up a show that's already been dubbed by somebody that Genion had dubbed it. I don't know. I, yeah. That's, and, that's the biggest problem with this, is that 
We don't really know what's going to happen. Should I go buy a ridiculous amount of stuff? Should I go buy like $400 of Genion stuff now before they stop shipping this stuff out? Is it going to get re-released by other companies? Is it going to get picked up by anyone else? Am I going to buy half a show and then another company is going to pick it up and then re-release the volumes that are already out? The million dollar question, I guess. I'd be somewhat skeptical that most of the catalog titles, that is to say the things that are already done and completed, I think a lot of those are just going to end up being gone, unless they were super big hits. Like, the Hajime no Ippo discs, or Gonkutsuo, or shows that I like and nobody else does that Genny unreleased, <laughs> those are going to be gone, because... Right. They didn't make money the first time. Yeah, I definitely need to order those Epo Thin Packs. Yeah, those, I believe, are going to be released. They're in the time frame, I believe. Yeah, I think so. They're coming out. Yeah. Yeah. But, again, for the other shows, like the new shows that are coming out now, maybe some of them might get picked up, maybe some of them won't. I kind of think somebody out there could look at Black Lagoon and say, yeah, I can make money off of Black Lagoon. I think that that's right, because a show typically, and again, this is a big general statement is not true all the time but oftentimes these shows will make the most money early in their release you don't see a lot of shows that have been on the shelf for months or years that suddenly start to pick up of course there's a problem with that because the reason the shows don't start to pick up is because they never go back and reprice the old catalog titles it's very rare when cpm did it, it's like whoa stop the presses they're repricing their old catalog titles ten dollars a piece yeah for regular movies when a movie's been out for a long time Eventually, you'll start seeing that movie be like $10 or $5 or whatever. And that's because Warner, whoever, went back and made it a cheap release. So if people see the sequel or think the sequel looks cool, it becomes really easy and cheap for them to go pick up that earlier disc. Whereas if those earlier discs are still like 30 bucks, Then it doesn't make sense. For an anime example or a battler done by, and that was an example of something ADV put out that didn't sell very well. After about five or six discs, they said, okay, we'll drop the price point. We'll make the discs $19.99 instead of $30 or whatever the MSRP was. Mm -hmm. But they never went back and retroactively priced down the first five or however many discs to be cheaper. So the fact that they made the subsequent releases cheaper didn't compel people to start buying the thing because disc one still cost full price. Well, I think that in that case, they were trying their very best to hold on to the few people that were actually buying the show. (laughs) Another thing that kind of worries me about the prospect Mm -hmm. of some of these shows that are already in mid-release being picked up We've talked about none of these subsequent discs are going to sell as well as the first disc. So are companies likely to say, well, we didn't release this first disc, which is what would make the most money. We're not going to get money from that first disc. How does it benefit us to buy rights to release these other discs in the series that we know aren't going to sell nearly nearly that well? That's again, is another big question. I don't even think I could guess as to what's going to happen to this. I have a very hard time believing that anybody is going to let Helsing Ultimate or Black Lagoon Mm. just go away, because I believe that those titles did make money. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure about Higurashi. Higurashi only just started coming out, and what's more, the second season, which is airing in Japan, sort of. Yeah, I mean, I I know it has a big fan following among the fan sub crowd, but I don't know how that's translating into sales over here. Usually doesn't translate at all, necessarily. Yeah, and whether it's getting any kind of attention outside of the fan sub crowd that was already into it. Anyway, as you can see, we don't really know the answer to this, and... A lot of people are wondering, you know, do you wait for, like, the fire sale over at Right Stuff or whatever? Yeah, that's what Uh, I'm praying for. Yeah, I don't know. 
And also there's the bigger question of, does this have any implications for what's going on? I think that it's a bad idea to start going crazy about this. This is a kind of a weird thing to happen in the anime industry, because I don't know if we've seen this happen before on this scale. I, I mean, guess the closest would be a lot of CPMs cutbacks. The thing yeah. is, though, is that Genion is like, was like the second biggest or something as far as like Funimation, ADV, Genion is like those big three. Genion was in there, and for them to close down, it's not as much of a surprise for CPM, because what's the last thing right. CPM released? What's the last thing Anime Ego released? Yeah, but as we talked about, a lot of the titles Genion had were not super successful titles, so even though they released a lot of stuff... Right, it's not like Master Keaton really made them yeah. a huge boatload of money. They didn't have Naruto or Alchemist. The word is, and again, I've got no proof for this whatsoever, Genion wasn't doing horribly, per se. They were kind of meeting mediocre goals, but Dentsu is an incredibly large advertising agency, and this company was not doing well enough for them. However I true remember that is, reading like, on Anime News Network how they posted like a $40 million loss for Genion. To close down the company. Right, right? And, and they chose that rather than let the things keep distributing. It seems pretty odd, but oh well, who am I to... We don't really know, and what implications this has, it's tough to tell. I mean, this means that a potential buyer has pulled out of the market for anime, so that means the anime companies have got a whole lot more bargaining power, per se, because a lot of anime does make its money in America. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's going to be another company that's going to step in, I doubt it. Seems Genion, like a pretty prohibitive market to enter into. Well, a, it's, a complete newcomer. I think today it certainly is. I know that earlier on, all you needed was. Oh right, right. Was, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. now. Yeah, because now. Yeah, it's not like everyone it, is going crazy for Illumatune. <laughs> Look at all these companies like Viz or Bandai Visual or uh, Katakawa that either are the actual Japanese company so they don't have to license anything or have a connection with a publisher in Japan. And so they basically get first dibs on so many of the shows that are going to be the biggest sellers. Any really big Shonen Jump property, Viz is probably going to get it. And if not them, it's probably going to be like Funimation. Things like Katakawa and Bandai Visual, I mean, they already own it in Japan, so all they have to do is just decide to bring it over here. So it's probably kind of hard for somebody new to come in and be like, well, what are we going to get that's going to make us money and really give us an identity in this market? And Genion in Japan still exists and is still oh, yeah, producing yeah. stuff. So Yeah, Genion in Japan is not affected at all, right? Uh, I don't think so. The thing is... It wasn't like everything that Genion in Japan made translated immediately over to Genion in America. I believe no, no. they had a good relationship. And I guess if Genion in, in America wanted it and Genion in Japan made it, they'd get first dibs. But the real story, I don't know if we will ever know this. Yeah, they're probably not going to talk really publicly about a lot of what's, what goes on here. Yeah, and they've so. got no obligation to either because I believe they are private companies. Yeah. So, as it stands right now, one final thing, Bandai Visual. Bandai Visual was being distributed through Genion. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I mentioned this when we recorded earlier or not. You did. You okay. mentioned this, but it, I believe the story has continued on. Mm. Then Bandai Visual was going to sell their work exclusively on their .anime... Was it .anime.us? Yeah, site? .anime US. Not to be confused with AnimeVillage.com, even though it's the exact same idea. Yep. From what I understand now, they've actually gotten distribution through Broccoli. Hmm. Oh, wow, Broccoli. Stop the presses. 
Yeah. I remember how much trouble they had getting any of their stuff released. Basically, SyncPoint was kind of going to be the place to go for distributing Broccoli stuff. And right now, Broccoli seems to get all their work through doing the very nice booklets that are included with the Bandai visual releases. <laughs> it seems to be where most of Broccoli's work is coming from. I think, did they also work on the Fooly Cooly release? SyncPoint? Well, or broccoli? No, broccoli. I don't know. Okay. I think Broccoli is probably doing pretty well on the manga front, though, aren't they? Maybe. I don't know, since I don't buy any of the stuff that they do. But they do nice work. So they're doing their DVD distribution, or Broccoli is doing Bandai Visual's DVD distribution? That is the last I heard. What are the Broccoli DVDs being distributed? Good question. Yeah, that's just it. No, I, I actually have no idea. Mm. Um, so Bandai Visual was actually a big deal because... Their DVDs, as we have said many times before, are so prohibitively expensive that they just can't be selling very well. And so it was a question of what distributor would want to touch DVDs. Bandai Entertainment? Um, Oops. Broccoli's been doing, I believe, DigiCarrot. Oh, yeah, that's a good They did um, a couple Aquarian Age things on DVD. Oh, really? I thought ADV did that. Well, Right Stuff lists the Aquarian Age movie as being published by Broccoli. Ah, okay. Maybe the Maybe TV series it, was ADB. Yeah, yeah, that might be what it is. The Bandai visual stuff, it just continues to shock and amaze me. For one, I was surprised that they were going to release the Super Robot Wars OAVs here. And then did you see when they said they were going to do the TV series? Weren't those OAVs really bad, though? They aren't as bad as I remember them being. Oh, the problem really? is that there's no exposition to them at all. It's yeah. only after I played the games on the Game Boy Advance, I'm like, okay, this is so-and-so. And then it's like, all right... This first OAV takes place after the second game. Oh, mm-hmm. wow, that's not good. <laughs> and then the TV series retells the first game. Yeah, that's not going to help it sell very well. You know I what else think. isn't going to help it sell very well? Two episodes a disc for the TV series, which is 26 episodes long at $50 a shot. Why? Is it seriously that, or are you God. just guessing that? I am almost certain. I can't yeah. believe that Wings of Oniami's, you can only buy it in the Blu-ray or HD DVD set, but when you buy them, you get a fully separate disc with case for just the DVD version. Somebody explain this to me. Why would anybody who has a Blu-ray player or an HD DVD player want, want the, regular DVD. the regular DVD? And why would somebody who didn't have one of those and just wanted the DVD, like say 99% of the people who buy anime, why can't they sell this as a separate thing? It's not like yeah, it's, it's one disc or anything. It's a whole separate disc and a whole separate yeah. case. They could easily sell that by itself and have like a bare bones version of that movie. Yeah. But as it is, the only way you can see that movie is pay $80. Now, speaking of which, didn't that release have, like, no extras on it or very few extras? It had mostly the same extras as the original release, except it didn't have the really good commentary track. Oh, that's a shame. Because it was a really good commentary track with the, the director yeah. and the assistant. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the Genion yeah. situation is really strange, and I have no idea if any good can possibly come out of this. It's never a good thing, I guess, from our perspective, when your suppliers are uh, lessened, because yeah. then now we have less choice on our end. Right, uh, and le- yeah, less competition. It was already becoming less choice in the first place. Yeah, well, less competition among the companies is always worse for the customer. Yeah. The thing is, I need to be careful, because I don't want to sound like this is the end of the world or anything. Cause it's no, no, tough. no, it's... The and anime industry is not going to keel over and die because of this. This is the first time that anything like this has happened on this scale, and so 
I find it very interesting to see what's going to happen or c- yeah. come out of it. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, things like this just don't usually translate into positive things for the end consumer. Yeah, you know, I'm really just worried because we we have no idea what's going to happen, and Genion releases shows that I like. There's stuff that they have, like Hajime no Ippo, that's probably going to go out of print now, and I doubt anyone else is going to buy it, so I have to mm-hmm. make sure I buy it now. And, you know, there's stuff like Sayun Koku that's not going to get finished, and I really have no idea if anybody is going to bother to pick the rest of that show up, because it's how many people know about It's a show about girls being effective. Yeah, really. And, you know, how many people know that much about it over here? I think it was on the cover of a new type USA. Oh, was it? Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. And, of course, this brings up the big point that Genion didn't have a Naruto. It didn't have yep. a Robotech or a Hello or a Hello Kitty. Yeah, because Hello Kitty is ADV's biggest selling title. Yep. It didn't have. It didn't have Voltron. It didn't have Voltron. It didn't have a title that was one of those level of titles. Yeah. And the closest thing that it had, from what I can understand, is Helsing Ultimate, which right. is not a show that kids can buy the way no. all the other ones are. Yeah, all those and other ones kids can buy, or a very large number of older yeah. folks, such as uh, Voltron, will buy. But I really like the fact that Genion released all the music CDs that they did. They released some really good anime soundtracks, and they released some good J-pop CDs too. And I they get released the feeling some CDs that hurt by them Angela. a lot. But, I think so yeah. too. I think the music label, like as I think about it, I don't think a single U.S. music label has succeeded. AV music yeah. label didn't succeed. The yeah. Genion one didn't succeed with the, um, I can't even remember the name of it. I wonder if that's records? because of the Taiwanese bootleg. I think CDs it has more to do with the fact that just the people, not even just anime fans, but people just don't want to buy CDs anymore. Yeah, I think that that's just yeah. a shift in the market. Like, Maybe, because I mean, Japanese I, CDs, yeah. like who wants to pay $35 for a CD? That's why a lot of people buy those bootleg discs, because they're only like 10 or 12 bucks. And, you know, the ones that Genion sold were really reasonably priced, and they had some really good ones that were ones for popular shows. I mean, they had the Helsing soundtracks. They had the Noir soundtracks, too, didn't they? I think so, yeah. But so, Now, we're, I don't know if any of this stuff was on iTunes, though. And as far as I can tell nowadays, if you want to get your stuff out there, you have to get it on iTunes. Yeah. I actually uh, purchased the Paprika soundtrack on iTunes. I've got no desire to purchase the CD of that. I always forget that I'm the exception. Like, I refuse to purchase anything through iTunes or the majority of um, those places, and I'd much rather buy a CD, but I forget that I'm kind of weird in that respect. Well, you're kind of a hardcore music fan. The hardcore music fan can tell the difference between an MP3 and a CD. Oh, no, 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 it's not about that. I'm not an audiophile. My hearing is not that sensitive. <laughs> if I were a real audiophile, I'd buy everything on vinyl. True. But... Then the sea monster will come up and know where to kill you because it can hear that extra <laughs> yeah. frequency. It's an issue of DRM. I have actually I bought iTunes got rid of the DRM. Not that I've heard. I think that they've um, now got a choice between downloading a DRM one and not. Oh, well, okay, maybe then I would... I, I really hate iTunes, though. I really don't want to run it on my system. I also just... I dislike the program as well. Yeah, but, I um, don't have iTunes on my computer. Yeah, like, I, I so got an iPod, but my own I refuse to use iTunes to manage it. I just use Winamp. Well, I since I need to actually shitty. monitor what's going on with the podcast on iTunes, I am the one who's taking the bullet. Right, right. So, so. I mean, I, I've bought from one of the digital stores that doesn't have DRM. I like packaging, too. I like CDs with nice packaging. In any case, I just know, like, as far as things that must have lost the company a lot of the music, money, music, music label, 
the entire thing being started up and then the entire thing tanking. And they went really heavily into it, much more heavily than a lot of other companies did. Yeah, and I think they did a good job with it, and it's sad that it didn't work out for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people, we, I don't even remember what we talked about in the last time we recorded this, but... Genion was also responsible for getting a lot of the musical acts here in America for, for the conventions. anime conventions. A lot of the Japanese voice actors and bands and that sort of thing. That's a point, is that Genion was responsible for bringing a bunch of those people over. They're not anymore. Yeah, maybe one of the heavy J-Rock stores will step up and do some of that. If any of our listeners do know any more about this, and I know that there are some of you out there who will undoubtedly say that we are wrong and won't tell us why... <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, anyway, that is basically what we know. As more stuff develops out of this, I guess uh, you'll hear it here about a month after everybody else knows about it. Yeah, we're doing a really good job on that. This is Samuel. I play Will in Power Rangers Operation Overdrive. Seiki Tomokazu desu. Kari Walgren, anime American voice actress. We're Apple Geeks. Richie, uh, I play Xana on Power Rangers Mystic Force. Steven Silver. Hi, this is Rhoda. I play Rose in Operation Overdrive. And you're listening to R5 Central. Take that, you m- guys. Put <laughs> <laughs> <With> profanity there. <laughs> <laughs> Two years of award-nominated podcasting at its finest, but it's far from over yet. Whether it's news and reviews on anime, tokusatsu, or Asian cinema, epic convention reports with the cosplayers to match, or kick-ass indie music from Japan and beyond, the place to be is at R5 Central at r5central.wordpress.com. We're also on iTunes and MySpace. See you there. I believe you said move please. Since this is, in fact, a Tezuka episode, and since Tezuka is the god of manga, officially, I guess I'll be the first to actually talk about a straight-up manga only. There was no anime adaptation of what I'm going to talk about. However, that's not to say that this is any less important. The manga that I'm going to talk about is called Apollo's Song. It is a 1970 manga by Osamu Tezuka. Tezuka was well-known for coming up with some really crazy and strange ideas, and In a sea of crazy and strange, this one really stands out. It is also one of the most depressing and solemn works that I've ever read by him. Really? I thought this one was insane. Did you finish reading it? Yeah, I read the whole thing. Okay, I I don't see how you could see it as anything else, but anyway. Even though the very first thing that you see when you open this book is, well, let's see. Basically, you remember the old Jim Carrey stand-up routine about how far back you have to reach for glory the older you get? That's basically what these opening pages are. Basically, it's a very angry-looking, hairy, naked, white guy standing in a sea of hairy, naked, other white guys, and he's saying that there's a one in 500 million chance that they'll survive. This is obviously a metaphor for sperm and the egg, but... Boy, I sure was fast back when I was a sperm. I remember the great race. I beat them all, you know. Apollo's song is the story of Shogo Chikaishi. He is a young man. He's about 18 or less. And he is brought to see this doctor on some major mental instabilities that he has. He's got this incredible sadistic rage whenever he sees any animals that appear to be in love. Anybody, not just animals. But yeah. Well, it starts with animals. The thing is, he hasn't It always attacked, starts he, with animals. He hasn't, star, he hasn't attacked anyone at that point in the manga. But the thing is, he really, really hates seeing anything in love, 
and the police have brought him in because they're afraid that he might take it out on humans. So they brought him to this mental institution to cure him. And uh, remember that this was written in 1970. So, of course, what's the best way to treat someone with mental instabilities in the, you know, 1970 and before? Electroshock therapy? Exactly. Woo! That's, yep. And so they give Shogo... I guess reading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was good for something. Yeah. yeah. Quality! During this shock treatment, Shogo has this vision that he is in this very large ancient Greek-style room, and there's this gigantic female statue in front of him, which begins to interrogate him about his hatred for love. And we very quickly find out that part of the reason for all of this real hatred that he has for love stems from the fact that his mother, who, for the lack of a better word, was a slut. Basically, every memory that Shogo has of his mother is either getting ready to bone a guy or boning some random guy. She was, in fact, a prostitute, right? It never is clear. It's actually... It, I don't believe that they ever came out and said that. She just was seemed like a very loose woman in general. She also really hated Shogo a lot. Shogo would oftentimes like find her having sex with a guy, and then she would scream and throw stuff at him. But anyway, Beat him with okay, a broom. I was about to say, like, so... His mom was an evil bitch because she had sex with people? What? Well, it's just like Rorschach and Watchmen. <laughs> she'd, like, beat the shit out of him with a broom yeah. every time oh, he'd see okay. her. And yeah. so he's like, he'd equate sex with violence or, you know, whatever uh, it is. I get yeah. it. All right. Yeah. Once this all comes out, then Shogo is then cursed with this, like, prophecy of, of sorts from the statue. And the statue says that he will now love one and only one woman forever. And before any of them can really and truly be happy, one of them will always die. And then he is thrown into this hole, and then he comes out. We are now suddenly treated to a story of Shogo as a German soldier in World War II transporting Jews to a concentration camp. What? And yeah, 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 that's how this manga works. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's what happens. Is this yeah. Quantum Leap? <laughs> yes. Yes, basically yes. Quantum Leap with sex. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I think of sex, I think of Nazis. <laughs> and uh, and he's still named Shogo, even though he's a yes, Nazi. He's, he's still named Shogo, but they, they actually make, do comment that, you know, that's a weird name for a German. Oh, but, okay. um, they do make note of that. And we are treated to a love story of Shogo as a Nazi who falls in love with a Jewish woman, which, as predicted... Doesn't go very well. Ends tragically. Really? This, yeah. What a shocker. It's at this point we are transported back to reality as the electroshock treatment ends, and Shogo then realizes that all of this was this very vivid hallucination. That was the very vivid hallucination. I think what comes afterwards is probably the most vivid hallucination as far as the terror goes in this well, entire book. Tezuka creates monsters, and he doesn't understand what he's creating. I'm not sure we're on the same page there, but... All right, just... Okay. We'll, well, anyway. we'll see what happens. This is kind of how this manga works, is that it kind of jumps back and forth between... Shogo's reality, and then these hallucinations and these dreams that he has. And right after that, Shogo is then hypnotized by this doctor, and he ends up in another story with a photographer lady, and he is stranded on this volcanic island full of these animals that, well, I want to call them docile, but the fact is that Shogo beats one of these animals to death for food, and then as punishment... They maul the woman that he's with, just to say, you know, hey, you're not supposed to do this. And were they cats? They were two of every sort of animal. Oh. So, 
think about that a bit. But this generally becomes the theme of this very strange manga. We start to see more of Shogo's real life slowly start to kind of parallel these hallucinations that he has. During one of the segments where he comes back from reality, he accidentally ends up killing a nymphomaniac patient who tries to hit on him. And he ends up escaping from the hospital, and he is taken in by this woman who ostensibly is trying to train him to become an Olympic runner. But as you might expect, there's a whole lot more to that than there appears to be. Now, in all of Tezuka's work, even some of the more depressing chapters of Phoenix, they're even though I've not read all of Phoenix just yet, it seems like there's always some sort of glimmer of hope. Just some, some feeling that there's hope around the corner no matter what. Apollo's song seems very different in that this is a story about love that was written for children and there is no hope at all. If there is, it's extremely vague. Tezuka wrote this in 1970, right after he had finished doing a whole bunch of these like experimental films in the mid-60s, and there were all these student riots going on in the 70s. Tezuka was working pretty hard around this time. I mean, in 1970 alone, he worked on 55 different manga, including Phoenix and Ota Kirihito, which I actually reviewed in an earlier episode. One of the major themes running through this entire manga is not only love, but also sex. While there's no actual sex actually happening on the page at any point, or not a whole lot at least... The, the Between entire... humans? Yeah. Yeah, not a lot between humans. Between animals is another story. There's a lot of that. Tezuka creates monsters. <laughs> yeah, the, the entire book is full of people trying to consummate their loves, and the thing is that this manga owes so much, and of course it always comes back to this one man. This manga apparently would never have been written if it weren't for Go Nagai. This is what I love, is that Go Nagai, the man who created Get a Robo and all that, in 1968, he wrote this manga called Shameless School. This manga was absolutely scandalous. It featured nudity, and there was sex as thought up by, you know, what a 14-year-old's idea of sex would be. This manga was burned and condemned by every politician and mother in Japan, but everybody else ate this thing up. And that manga kind of opened up all these venues for content in other manga. So what you see is kind of the result. Anyway, back to Apollo itself. Apollo's song is one of the more uneven works that I think I've seen out of Tezuka. I find the story of Shogo in the real world to be very interesting. But some of the hallucinations that he have, some of them I think work very well. And then some of these things, they kind of feel like that they were other stories that Tezuka was working on at the time, and he just kind of threw them into this. Don't get me wrong, mediocre Tezuka is still far better than most manga out there. Although it is somewhat strange to see Tezuka at his most depressing, it's somehow surprising to see how things end, especially because Tezuka wrote this manga for children. So he was obviously trying to start them on the right foot, because basically he's trying to teach all these children that love will do absolutely nothing for you except lead to pain and suffering again and again and again. What a good lesson. Well, yeah. He, well, well, that's he, the real truth. It doesn't yeah. really seem like a very Tezuka kind of lesson, though. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, look, Tezuka was a visionary. more about uplifting, sort of? Well, here's the thing. If you take and... one look at the cover, you can see that Tezuka creates monsters right then and there because he basically, our hero, Shogo, is an emo kid. Right down to the hair. <laughs> yeah. Even though he's living, you know, the proper lifestyle advocated by Souther from Fist of the North Star. <laughs> Beating animals to death. It's right, for the crime of love. <laughs> 
you have to see it as far as that stuff goes. You got it's like yeah, yeah, the Tuska's imparting life lessons, but being entertaining at the same time. It's like those kids software. It's meant to be a game, but it's not really a game. It's just supposed to teach you something. And of all the Tezuka manga, I think that this is the most appropriate for Anime World Order, because this philosophy to love is kind of Anime World Order's philosophy to love. I don't know. So, I feel like there's got to be something else to it. Like it just isn't Tezuka the one who said like he wants people to love everything and love everyone. Well, well, this was also the year it didn't, like, you said it's from the 70s, right? All these student riots were going on in the 70s, and it was a really oh, yeah. rough And time. also, Cleopatra came out the same year, so maybe he was like, mm, maybe I should balance the scales a bit. <laughs> we got Cleopatra on the one side. And the thing is, Cleopatra ruined him financially, so he was really depressed, I bet. What better way to get that across than to write a manga for children about how much you are wasting your life about loving anyone or anything? Right. Um, and, and it was the same time, like, because we mentioned in the news segment that they were colorizing a couple of titles, and one of those, you said it was Malmo, correct? Yes. Okay, well, Malmo was a sort of similar objective to Apollo Song. I believe that was, like, the little girl, and when she eats the special candy, she turns into an adult. But, like, the candy, it came from, like, the ghost of her mom, but God gave the ghost of her mom the candy that she can eat to turn into a woman and do sexy time or whatever. I don't know. It's a, it's a bizarre series. I've never read it in English, so I have no idea what is happening on the screen. <laughs> it's just like, huh, all right, this is pretty bizarre. Oh, God. I think Apollo's song... Like you said, it's not the greatest Tezuka thing, but even like a middling sort of Tezuka work is still pretty darn good. Given the amount of stuff that we've got mm-hmm. for Tezuka, you might want to read Adolf or Phoenix or Buddha or, or something else <laughs> before. Because this is a vertical release, this correct? This is vertical. They released it in one volume, and it's, just to give people an idea, it's one volume that is like 530 pages long or so. So it's the entire thing in one go. I do think that it is totally worth checking out. I would read Phoenix before this. I think that, like one of the this. stories when he said the part that's in the future is very uh, reminiscent of Phoenix as far as you know depicting the future and having very grim life lessons entailed as far as like, oh man, <laughs> this is depressing, but it's still... I just thought that it was very unusual and that usually there's some hope in Tezuka. Just yeah. something there. Well, you know, they they die together, happily, kind of, maybe. That's about as close as you can get. But as you're reading, as you're coming towards the end of this, you're like, okay, this is so sad, I can't believe this. Is there something here? Is there something here? And the last thing is like, nope, that's love. Good luck, kids. That's right. It's because he was cursed by, you know, a god that he doesn't even believe in. This is like the ultimate manga of Pascal's wager. But it's not necessarily the Christian god you wagered wrong, because he just like he worships the Greek gods. It's like, you know, we don't even know why it's called Apollo's song till the very end, but obviously yeah. it goes back to an old uh, Greek myth about Apollo, who is a pretty rapidicious uh, Greek god. Yeah. Pretty much all the Greek As they all pretty much were. And then the woman they'd bed with, like, I know, I'll disguise myself as a peacock to screw this woman. (laughs) And they go for it. He ends up getting judged by, presumably, you know, Aphrodite or Athena or something like that. And is cursed for all eternity because of the one mistake he made in this one life. His eternal damnation and forever. I mean, he had, like, a really shitty childhood. And so he grew up like this, and now he has to suffer for the shitty childhood that was forced upon him. 
So right. and it's, it's not like there's any hope for this guy. Well, it's, you know, at least it teaches that sometimes love can bloom on the battlefield because when the, <laughs> the Nazi and the, the Jew from the concentration camp are bleeding to death together after having shot one another or whatever it was that happened. It's a pretty bad time to realize that you love someone after you've shot them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, Apollo song's pretty up, crazy. I, I definitely think this is crazy enough to pick up, and if you are like the Anime World Order crew and have given up love forever, then this will be your Bible. So. Absolutely. Except, you know, just as long as you don't fully 100% adhere to Shogo's actions, because, dude, you're going to have to kiss your mom at some point. Oh, God, yeah. What, the, what was up with dude. that? Dude! Yeah. yeah seriously. But, yeah, as we all live by, love will never do anything more for you than bring you utter horrible pain, suffering, and hilarious death. Yes, and sometimes you have to just uh, go to a cabin where you've built yourself a human-sized cage just in case. <laughs> Yes. Man, I, this is such a terrifying book. <laughs> I don't know how much you want to really reveal about it, but I mean, it's it's very much like how... Let me see, I posted on a blog somewhere, like, uh, alright, uh, this, this is a post I wrote. Okay, I don't think they actually had sex during an earthquake. I think their attempt to have sex was interrupted by the onset of said earthquake. That's the kind of thing that happens, <laughs> like when you were saying they can't ever get together. Yeah. yeah, But if it truly was the other way around, as you claim, I'm sure Tezuka would extend his dear readers the courtesy of having someone ask afterwards, did the Earth move for you, too? Wow, <sighs> I was firing on all cylinders when I wrote this. And the, like Tony Stark, who I'll just mention as though he were a real person, Tezuka was a futurist, channeling visions of things yet to come and putting them to the page, even when such a thing was his intent. Why, just look at Shogo's classic emo haircut. Indeed, our murderous... Love-despising hero embodies the otaku spirit before the otaku spirit truly existed. Think about it. Wasn't this design very similar to some of the Cyborg 009 designs? And didn't those come out in the 60s? I don't know. Hmm. Ishinomori, we, we wonder. But yeah, this is basically the story of the most unluckiest man in the world on his quest to get laid. Super bad, this is not. No, this is... <laughs> this is the real version this of Superbad, how it yes. really happened. Especially the parts where you get invited to the secret animal sex grounds. <laughs> You're giving away all the secrets. <laughs> but that was... I, I wasn't sure what to do when I saw that. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to laugh. Are you, am I supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. This is, um... Oh, well. Special. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's gonna do it for Anime World Order, show number 60. Hopefully the next part will be the last part. I may put up in the interim some interviews that we did. I've certainly got quite a few of them recorded. Anyway, feedback. You know the deal. AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Voicemail number 206-666-4296. Man, video games. Man, no wonder all these people did video game and anime podcasts. Well, we had to make the anime podcast. We're so short-sighted. All right, hit and stop.